Genesis chapter 28, 20 and 21. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCurry. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we want to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapters 28 and 29 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. Read your Bibles. Demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. Study it in a right way. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We want to be as close to that text as possible. We're thankful for you taking the time to listen today. Um, we're hoping to get back on track. Uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, we um, have had a, sort of an unintentional hiatus and uh, want to get back to a regular uh, schedule or a routine of doing this, sort of the flow of the program. And so, again, we're thankful for you taking the time to listen. Uh, before we start today, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can get in touch with us on Facebook. You can search at Walking Through the Book, and uh, you'll probably find us. And uh, we have an email, walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. You can email us about really anything. Uh, specifically, we're interested in, in, in serious Bible questions, perhaps, or comments on the show, or things that you thought might be uh, useful. Or uh, maybe there are things that we're wrong about. We definitely want to get feedback about that. So we're thankful for that input. And uh, keep in mind, any kind of input you have will be, uh, ho- ho- you know, Lord willing, be commented on the show uh, in the future. And uh, and we'll feel free to discuss that as much as possible. You might check out the website that this podcast is hosted on. It's the website of the congregation that I work with in Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ. The website is NorthColumbusChristians.com. We encourage you to go there. We've got this podcast and other podcasts that we manage, and we have a blog that we uh, write on from time to time, and uh, we encourage you just to go there and check us out. And if you're in the Columbus, Mississippi area or close to Starkville or something like that for some reason, uh, please drop in and say hi. Uh, Bryant, you want to go over the flow of the program as well as let people know how to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find the website for the congregation that uh, I meet with at uh, GardenCityCoc.org. And uh, it's just west of downtown Savannah. If you're ever in the Savannah area on vacation or passing through, it'd be great to be able to meet you and uh, spend time with you and worship. And what we're doing in the program, uh, like Stephen said, is just encouraging simple but effective Bible reading. Uh, we're not trying to go by any extra books or anything like that. Uh, we're just trying to go by what the text says and learn from that. And so we start just by reading through the text, whatever uh, whatever we've kind of picked out for the, the uh, podcast of the day and write 
Uh, right now it's Genesis 28 and 29, like Stephen said. So we're just going to read through 28 and 29 and then make some initial, ob- initial observations from that. And then after that, we're going to kind of look at how uh, some of the things in the reading are connected to the broader uh, the broader story of Genesis and maybe even the broader story of the Bible and of Christ. And uh, we try to end every uh, episode also looking at some applications that we can make from the illustrations and the stories that we have. Uh, and like I said in the last podcast, sometimes making applications from the historical books of the Bible um, can actually be some of the most powerful because the the illustrations for those applications are very strong and memorable. And uh, when you when you see that there are applications in the text for us that are relevant today, um, sometimes those can really sink into the heart a little bit more than if it was more explicitly stated. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing doing today. Genesis chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and give you the blessing of Abraham, to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants." Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country, to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. 
Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So in this uh, initial observation section, of course, we're trying to pull out what immediately jumps out at us, um, uh, you know, in the specific text and specific passages, as well as some relations within the scope of the book of Genesis itself. We're trying not to get too big picture here, um, because frankly, that's what the next section is all about in the theme section. But so we're focusing on uh, initial immediate things. And, uh, you know, Brian, one of the things that really jumps out at me in this reading is, uh, how much Isaac is completely on board with what's happening. Uh, there doesn't seem yeah. to be any kind of wish or hope that Esau would have been the one or, you know, and it, right. it's interesting because, you know, Isaac, uh, Esau was Isaac's favorite, correct? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, I thought that was leading into something. Um, <laughs> nope, disagree. <laughs> okay, but you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there because again, we're seeing that Isaac is just completely on board with God's plan, right? And uh, and he goes on and even you know blesses uh, Jacob even more. That's but, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's actually something I've never thought about before the fact that you're right like he's only adding on to the blessing that he gave him earlier that's that's actually quite significant i just hadn't really taken note of that and it's a blessing specifically focused on making descendants uh right. inheriting the land in which you're a stranger which god gave to abraham um yeah that's isaac, so interesting isaac does well with that question there though why didn't isaac send esau to padanaram mm mm I mean, that's not a question that we can really resolve from the text because the text doesn't tell us, but I just, you know, a little bit of healthy speculation there. Um, you know, I'm not really sure about that. Maybe it's a sense where now Isaac is saying, okay, I know this is the son of promise now and I'm going to make sure that he has, he has a good wife. Mm. Um, so, but he sends him specifically to Laban. 
Yeah, and I think that's such a good point because, you know, I think in our reading of this, uh, in this podcast, it's really stuck out to me more and more just how faithfully Isaac is portrayed, um, or how faithful he's portrayed to be. Uh, you know, like, I think we talked about in the last podcast where it seems like Isaac, it's, it's not as if Isaac was, you know, trying to work against God's promise. He just, it seems like, didn't know about that promise that Rebecca was specifically told by God. And so he was doing what he thought, you know, was what should have been done. I mean, he was the, he was the firstborn son. Uh, and so, you know, he was accustomed to his father giving the blessing to him on that basis. And so, of course, you know, what should he expect to do except the same thing? Uh, so it is interesting that, you know, once it seems like he realizes, you know, through all of that, what God was doing and intending, that there is no, like, regret or resistance. You know, it's like, oh, if this is, if this is what God was intending, then yes, like, may God richly bless you, you know? And it is interesting, like you were saying, because I'm looking at that promise again that, um, well, I, I guess the blessing, uh, that Isaac gives to Jacob, and it's, it's, it's interesting how similar that promises to the promise that God kept reconfirming uh, himself. You know, it's almost like Isaac is speaking on God's behalf uh, in this, which is really interesting. That is interesting. And, and it, it speaks toward the importance of the patriarchs in this right, time, I right. guess. Um, yeah. That they themselves are speaking with the voice of God individually mm. for the sake of their families. Wow. And that's um, that's really interesting because something that I've been really thinking about with like personal reading and I think particularly in the Psalms is just how aware the Psalmists were that they were very intimately interacting with God and his covenant and his, you know, his living person in their lives. Mm. And it's just interesting seeing that, seeing that here, you know, like they, they were so aware that they were intimately engaging themselves very actively with God and I say that because mm. something I've been thinking about just personally is how much more I need to be thinking about God's active grace and active covenantal interactions with my daily living. Kind of like the idea of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And not just seeing it as God's made me promises that relate to the future in heaven, but there's a very present way that God is daily, zealously engaging himself in my life. And so it is interesting to see that. Uh, actually pretty clearly now that you point all this out, you know, even here. Uh, I have to wonder too, again, I, I hate to delve into too much speculation, but I mean, how, you know, how many people did, was God interacting with that we don't know about? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right. I, I guess I'm curious about this because later on, um, well, uh, we're kind of derailing here, but later on we have the high priest of Midian, Jethro, Right. Mm, mm. And again, I'm, I'm kind of breaking the rules here of this, of this segment, but, uh, but he seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, you know, I, but, but obviously that goes back to some point, right? Right. Um, so yeah, well, and interesting we, things to kind of think see about. That with Melchizedek as well. Yeah, sure. Uh huh. Absolutely. Hi, uh, what is it? High priest of Salem? Yeah, right. Yeah. King, um, king and high priest. Yeah. King, king of priest. Salem. Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. Well, regardless, um, he sends him off. And in the meantime, we see Esau marrying a daughter of Ishmael. Yeah, that's which, really uh, interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. 
Do you think, um, well, let me hold that. Let me table that question for the next segment. But, um, so it, it seems like he's basing this on the fact that, you know, Isaac's pleased with this. Right. And right, so right. he's going to go along with that in that way. Um, which I'm not sure is the purest of motivations. Um, but well, it, just something to say there. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it does seem like maybe it's, well, let me, let me say this a different way. Um, it seems like in the Old Testament, there's an invitation in the New Testament sometimes to look more carefully for seeds of faith. Uh, like, for instance, Lot. Like, Lot, I, I think, you know, it was, it was a good while ago we talked about Lot, but I think it's easy to kind of rag on Old Testament figures really heavily and critically when it seems like you look at Hebrews 11, and sometimes God's perspective is surprisingly different. You know, uh, Second Peter talks about righteous lot. You know, um, you know, and I wonder if this is a seed of the repentance that we see much more clearly later when Jacob finally sees Esau. You know, if this isn't maybe a part of the greater working of uh, the process of God changing Esau's heart, that now once he recognizes what he's lost, now it's as if he wants to kind of seek out the favor of his father you know it's to seek out the favor that he sees that he had actively lost through the choices that he had made and maybe this is maybe this is a sign that Esau now is committing himself to making different choices from a different heart that's kind of that's the question I was tabling mm-hmm. until the next mm-hmm. section but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's that I mean you, you covered it all right there so perfect um <laughs> um but yeah, no, I, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're spot on there. Um, and, and of course, this doesn't change anything, does it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, uh, but at least, you know, it seems like he's trying somewhere. Right, right. Um, so he goes out from, Jacob goes from Beersheba, goes to Haran. Now Haran has already been pretty important. Um, you know, it's popped up a good bit in this book already. Mm. Um, you know, wasn't that where, uh, Abram's father was. Oh, interesting. Yeah, let's see. I'm thinking back to. Um, let's see. Let's oh yeah, see. no, you're right. Uh, Genesis 12 verse 4. Yeah, he was 75 years yeah. old. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that is very very interesting. And so uh, he's going to to Haran, Haran, oh, however you want to say it, tomato tomato. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, he stays there and he's got this incredible vision. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not really sure what this might have looked. I'm sure, you know, artists have interpreted this, <laughs> right. you know, thousands of different ways. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and, and we'll have more to say about it in the next section, right. like the bigger things yeah. that are going on here. But, uh, the great thing about this is that here's God and he is manifesting his promise maybe in a more spectacular way to Jacob. Yeah. He's, he's, it seems like yeah, he's trying to impress upon mm. him that, you know, this is a great promise. Right. Look at, you know, I want you to understand who I am. Yeah, that, that's interesting because you'd think that, you'd think that, uh, I guess kind of like when Abram lied about his wife and Isaac, that, you know, that would give God reason to restrain himself, you know? Like, oh, mm. Jacob, you know, you... You really kind of blew it, you know. I mean, I promised the younger would be the exalted one, but, you know, not by stealing it, you know. 
but it's like it's mm. like God just totally ignores that and is like, no, you know, my covenant is with you, and I'm going to like spectacularly fulfill this, you know, and On- ongoing grace yeah, toward Jacob. God, right, right, you know, because you you don't really see a vision like this before this, you know, uh, like like you said, this really is very interesting. You know, there, there's just so many interesting things that God showed Jacob through this whole process, but. Yeah, so I appreciate you pointing out how spectacular this was and unique. It, it obviously impresses Jacob because when he wakes up from the right, from the right. dream or the vision, yeah, surely the Lord is in, in this place. I did not know it, and of course, I mean, th- right. it seems like Jacob at this point still sort of has a limited uh, viewpoint of things um, because you know if we read later on in the Bible, we understand God is not tied to any specific place, um, but He at least is is seems to be thankful for the vision and it seems like he wants to show his appreciation um sets up mm. a stone as a mm. pillar pours oil on it so it's essentially he's setting up this this place and he called this place Bethel um now Bethel turns up in a few different places as well correct yeah and wasn't that one of the places where they set up I- idols in Israel pretty quickly mm. <laughs> They set up uh, idols in Bethel and Dan. Jeroboam did once uh, once he became king. Yeah, that sounds. But even right. outside of that, though, Bethel does show up a lot. Right. But here's Jacob actually setting this up um, mm. and naming naming the the city. Uh, and so Jacob makes this vow. Uh, he swears a vow. And it almost seems to be almost a dependency kind of vow. If mm. God does this, yeah, interesting. Then I will do this. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, mm. we, we want to kind of pull mm. out a little bit of that um, later on as well. That you know, <laughs> when when we think about that, we know that that shouldn't typically be our response or our relationship with God. Um, and yet, God doesn't rebuke him for this at yeah, least that's interesting right now um again I, I think it does feed into this idea that god is being very gracious and patient with jacob right even though he doesn't understand even though i think he's ignorant about a number of things uh Man. god continues yeah. to be faithful wow that's so important you know like you know and this this is kind of touching on i guess a theme but Man, how encouraging is it as we've gone through Genesis just to see how God is so uh, diligent to be faithful, you know, and to be um, empathetic and humble, you know, at times when he could rebuke and be very critical and Mm. uh, domineering and harsh, you know, it's like, I don't know, I've, I've had some conversations recently with some people who are... Um, not, not where they need to be. Um, there's, I guess, a study I'm having right now with, um, some brethren who attend with the congregation who are, the congregation itself is not sound in their practice. And then, you know, some studies with some other people who aren't, aren't Christians, uh, but still are seeking the Lord. Um, and grace has come up recently a few times. And I've just, I just personally have really been thinking about how grace needs to be discovered patiently by reading and meditating on God's word 
and it, how how insufficient it is just to throw some verses out and say, here's what the Bible says about grace, now you should understand it. Mm. Uh, like It seems like grace is such a deep concept, such an easily misunderstood concept, that we need to really understand that and let God carefully define for us what his grace looks like and just appreciate how rich and how... Uh, not complicated in a mysterious kind of way like, you know, calculus is, you know, c- complicated for someone who's not familiar with mathematics, but complicated in a way where we just need to appreciate how uh, supernatural uh, and spiritual God's grace is compared to our carnality and um, just our lack of being able to appreciate spiritual things without God's help. And, and anyway, so I just think like the, us patiently going through Genesis has just really helped me appreciate God's grace a lot more. I, I would agree. It's not something you can, and I found this out by experience, unfortunately, it's not something you can just boil down into a three-point sermon. Right. Yeah, right, right. And just kind of say, oh, here's grace. And I, I'm afraid, though, that <laughs> yeah. plenty of Christians treat it that way. Right. Whether they're talking right. about. Uh, you know, some people want to cheapen grace or some people want to make it into this, uh, impossible taskmaster. Mm. Um, so there, there are balances that we need to, to reach right. there. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, getting back to the immediate thing too, it's interesting too that, that this promise, this, this vow, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall mm. be my God. It's going to mm. be quite a long time before Jacob goes back to his father's mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's just something to notice here as we yeah. keep going on. Right. Um, so we move into chapter 29. Jacob meets Rachel. And, uh, you know, he, he, he first has this interaction with some of, uh, you know, some other shepherds in the area. Mm. And, but he comes in, in contact with Rachel he understands that you know, her father is Laban, uh, his uncle, and they have a very tender moment here. And I would say that Laban has a tender moment with him as well. Um, you know, the closeness of family mm-hmm. uh, shown here to some degree, even family that may maybe never had met each other. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I do find it pretty interesting in verse 14, Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And that appreciation for that family relationship. Um, and, and it makes Laban's deceit later on all the more, um, you know, all, all the more shocking, I guess you might say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least for Jacob. Because, you know, most everybody who has grown up in Bible classes knows this story, right? Here's, here's Jacob and he works for seven years for Rachel. He gets tricked. All of a sudden, oh, he's married to Leah. And then he works another seven years. And it's interesting too that when we see the seven years referred to as weeks, um, I don't, I don't know exactly what to make of that except that I think there are times when the Bible will refer to years as if they're weeks, um, or uh, uh, you know, a sevens, sevens of years. Um, regardless, uh, Jacob is so um, himself. I think is is very graceful in the face of all this. Yeah. Um, 
and he goes on with it. And I mean, he, he calls Laban out on it. Hey, you know, you've deceived me, but he continues to serve him. Even after he, he, uh, gets Rachel, he stays another seven years. Um, that's pretty impressive to me. The trickster has now become the one that has been tricked. Um, do you think this is like a turning point here for Jacob Bryant or do you think, you know, am I putting too much emphasis on this? No, I think, I think that's a really good question. I really appreciate you asking, you know, that question because no, I've, I've been trying to actively think about, you know, how to, how to ask better questions through our, through our reading. And I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it, it seems like, um, you know, God is bringing Jacob to experience the covenant like Isaac did, you know. Um, and I think a part of that is, you know, the the humility that we keep emphasizing, you know, the, the goal of God's covenant being humility. So, so yeah, and I think definitely, you know, it seems like the idea of Jacob himself being deceived, uh, is no accident. So yeah, I think, I think definitely it seems very purposeful and still Jacob is blessed. And it's interesting right. that in yeah. this chapter, Jacob is blessed through mm. the woman that would mm. not have been his choice. Whoa. Um, oh man. And so, uh, there, there's a lot to say there, yeah. uh, which we'll get to in the next section, I think, cause there's some, there's some deep stuff going on there. Um, and of course there are connections and threads we want to tie in terms of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and of course Judah, uh, that we will, that we will go into in the next section. But is there anything else, Bryant, that immediately we, you, you'd like to discuss? Um, uh, well, there is one question I have. So, uh, and this might just be an open question that we may not be able to answer. Um, but, uh, Verse 27. So I've always taken verse 27 to mean he did not get to marry Rachel until the second seven-year cycle was completed. But I heard recently someone suggest that in verse 27 when he says fulfill her week, that that was a literal week and that he was able to marry Rachel after like a wedding week or something. And then... He still worked the extra seven years, but during that seven-year period, he had Rachel as his wife, and that's that's a different way of thinking about it than I'm used to. Because I've I've taken that fulfill her week to mean, well, if you work for the next seven years, at the end of that seven-year period, then you can also have Rachel. Um, but what what are your thoughts on that, Stephen? I, I, uh, I mean, that's that's been the story I've been I've been told all my life. <laughs> it was seven years for Leah, then he had to work a whole other seven years for Rachel. Right. Um, but you know, I, I I suppose that's a possibility. New King James says, "Fulfill her week." Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. Uh, you know, and, and in other parts of the passage, it's saying seven years. Now that's New King James. I'd have to look at some other translations to really resolve that question. Um, but you know that 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 would kind of put it a little bit differently, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, no, it would be different. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really struggle to find an answer on that per yeah, se in my hard. mind. Um, and you know, even then, even if he gets her only after a week, it doesn't necessarily cheapen the fact that he continues to work for him. You know, right. if that's the scenario, then this is Jacob still being uh, faithful from that standpoint. So. Um, I don't see any big problems with that, but, uh, yeah, no, 
And I guess one one last initial observation is um, Leah. Um, so, I mean, this will be something to continue to talk about. As, as you've mentioned, there's a lot of things that you kind of plant the seed of, and then we can talk about it more as we progress through this podcast and the next podcasts. Uh, but I think Leah is just extraordinary. You know, I think Leah is just an extraordinarily godly woman. And I think you see so many indications of that here. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting that it says mm. her appearance was not, you know, is clearly not as attractive as, as Rachel. Um, but Leah just seems like such a, a God loving, God fearing woman. So, it, you know, in verse, uh, 32, um, I do think it's interesting that, uh, these children that Leah has, she gives credit to God for looking and hearing and taking notice of her. Um, but then, uh, I guess it's, um, let's see, uh, when Rachel, be, I guess it's the next chapter, so I guess it would be kind of getting ahead, but I guess planting the seed that when Rachel gets children, it's more out of the desire to be competitive and mm. when she does have children, um, she just doesn't seem to have the same attitude of Leah at all about uh, her relationship to God. Um, you know, and we know, I guess, in the bigger scheme of things, you know, God's attitude toward the afflicted, which we'll talk about more later. But I just think it's interesting to note an initial observation, just Leah's attitude and heart just seems quite extraordinary. And I think God uses Leah to really... Um, well, I guess I'll put it this way. Um, when Jesus saw the Syrophoenician woman, he could really press her a lot more than he could other people because he was aware of this grand heart of humility that was deep within her. And we learn lessons through the way that Jesus pressed her. And I wonder if that's not the same kind of idea that we have with Leah, that God allowed Leah um, to kind of be pressed a little bit here so that we could see some pretty extraordinary things that teach us about a humble heart. Well, there's, there's, it seems like the majority of her focus is on pleasing Jacob mm, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, by proxy pleasing the Lord. Right. And, uh, so that's a lot could be made out of that as well. Yeah. And I, but we'll get to that for sure. And I wonder too, and this, this is, this kind of maybe something to, Again, another seed to plant. But I wonder if, you know, in Scripture, we don't have a lot of instances where God works providentially to bring people into his nation, his to make people who are not his people, his people, to bring them in even, even when nobody is really trying themselves to bring them in. Uh, and I think there's a lot of instances of that, you know, because Jacob didn't purposely want Leah at all. He actually did not want Leah. Um, but God worked it out so that Leah could get where she needed to get, despite Jacob and whatever he was wanting or aware of.
So some of the big picture things that we want to pull into this are, I mean, obviously the big concepts here, the continuation of the seed, right? And uh, so Isaac is doing this, and we've already talked about how it seems like Isaac has this great faithfulness, and he's completely on board with the plan. Um, you know, we talked about how Esau, it seems he's, he's trying to repent. Hebrews talked about that, that he sought repentance but didn't find it. Um, no, I'm sorry. Was that James? That was Hebrews chapter 12, where he's talking about yes, bitterness. Okay. Yeah, that Esau, right, right, right. He, Absolutely. Couldn't, he couldn't receive his inheritance after he had lost it, no matter how much he was sorry. Perfect. Yes. Sorry. Uh, so, so I'm sorry for that. But uh, the focus on the covenant with Jacob, I mean, what are some big things we can pull from this ladder? Mm. Uh, Brian, what, what, what would you kind of think about that? Well, uh, I think one really amazing connection, uh, is in John chapter one, Jesus says a really confusing thing in John one, and he just kind of shoots this off and doesn't even explain it, you know, and it's, it's like this little hidden treasure. Uh, so in John chapter one, um, Jesus is talking to Nathaniel. Nathaniel believed who Jesus was very quickly. Mm. Uh, he came to these incredible conclusions when Jesus said very little. And Jesus basically tells him, like, look, man, you believe already. This, like, we haven't even begun to <laughs> start what you're about to see. And in verse 51, he says, and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And, uh, I, th- I think personally that, that is an explicit reference back to, you know, quote unquote Jacob's ladder. Uh, right. And I, I don't think, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but we don't see it. I believe we don't see it anywhere where they literally saw the heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the, on Jesus. You know, it doesn't seem like they saw that. So I think it, mm-hmm. it means something more. And, uh, John one fourteen, you know, John mentions that they saw his glory. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus, I think qualifies and clarifies what God really showed Jacob and what that really meant. So in mm. John 14, uh, I think this this really is the idea in John 14. Sorry, me turning my Bible pages is really loud. Uh, but <laughs> um, It's okay, I edited it out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so John 14, you know, Jesus even talks about how he's going to go, you know, prepare a place, you know, where God is for those who follow him. And, and then verse 5, Thomas asks... Just the right question. You know, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Wow. That's the question right there. You know, that's that's totally it. So <laughs> Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Boom. Nail it down right there. I mean, if, if, if someone's listening and they like to make notes in their Bibles, verse 7, I'm uh, sorry, not verse 7, verse 6 of John 14, I think that's, that is it. Uh, Ultimately, God's house is not a place, it's a person. And I think Jacob, in many ways, represents the person of Christ. Uh, and I think God was making Jacob to be his house, his way. Uh, to get to God, you would need to go through him. And the way to God would be shown through Jacob. Um, and I think, more ultimately, the way of God is seen through Jesus. Just like Jesus is the kind of like the new beginning of the head of the nation, you know, the beginning of a new nation. 
Um, so I think I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he told Nathaniel that that he would see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I think the idea is Jesus is the way to God, and if you want to get to God, the way is is only through Him. And I think what God was telling Jacob is there's an exclusivity that's being created and revealed through Jacob. Uh, and I think it even gets back to Genesis 12, you know, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. That's that's an exclusive kind of promise. The idea is if you want to get to God, you need to go through the blessing of Abraham. Uh, so I know that's that's kind of a lot, but that, I think, really is just to show that there's such a simplicity, I think, to this vision. But so many things we'll see happen with Jacob, and I guess everything in the Bible, but I think really with, with Jacob... There's so much depth in everything that God shows and does with Jacob, and I think this is definitely one of those things that, you know, God fulfills in Jesus, and we can look back and just see so much more into it than we could uh, if we didn't have access to these things that Jesus said and did. Yeah, there's another aspect to Nathaniel's relationship with Jacob that we'll we'll get into in a few chapters, um, you know, with that wrestling with God. Yeah, right, but, right. Um, yeah, you make you make a fantastic point there. Um the relationship there uh concerning uh, knowing God and knowing who he is. Well, it's not about a place, it's about a person. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very well said. Yeah. And I think it kind of relates to um again like we kind of talked about this before the podcast even second uh Samuel chapter uh 7. I think it is where uh God is talking about <clears throat> God is talking about um, the house that he would build for David when David wanted to build a house for God. God God at that point, God doesn't correct Jacob here and Jacob I think doesn't fully comprehend what he's seeing and what that means. He assumes it's it's the place, but it's actually him, he he himself. For instance, um God even says, "I am with you. I am with you. I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you." That shows that God's mm-hmm. house was, was Jacob himself. But anyway, God does correct right. David. So David wants, he wants to build God a physical house, you know, which, which Solomon did build, but God corrects David and says, no, 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 you've, you've misunderstood. This isn't about me being built some physical place. This is about me dwelling with you and me be building you a house. So again, I think that's, that's the progression of this, this same idea. It's very well said. And, and, you know, I, I think, you know, how easy would it be to prove that God has always intended for the temple, uh, you know, his temple to be in our right, heart? Right, right. Um, yeah, it would be actually very easy to go through, all, you know, these multiple Old Testament examples and see that. Yeah. Isn't, and the distinction between that and the false gods that uh, other nations were serving at the time. Isn't that kind of the nature of Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7? Yeah. He ties it all together very yeah. well. So with Jacob meeting... Other people who who know uh, uh, who know Laban, they're in the right area, right? What are what are some of the things that we can pull out of this meeting mm. with Rachel and Laban? This sort of tenderness that we see shown there. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing with uh, that well, um, I mean, what are what what are some instances like even just so far that we've seen with like the significance of like wells and water? You know, it seems like we've we've seen that so much in Genesis already. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You know, because think about like even creation 
you know, water was kind of the beginning of God being able to bring life through the earth. Uh, Abraham, you know, there were wells that Abraham uh, dug, Isaac, you know, um, there's wells of water, the flood water, you know, so there's just, there's just been so much going on with uh, God's covenants and um, life uh, kind of being related to the discovery of water or interacting with water. It's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think we've discussed that before on the podcast as mm. well. Um, I, I think also specifically in this uh, section, we could really think a lot about the importance of the marriage covenant mm, and how yeah. special that relationship is. It's almost like, you know, it almost seems like Jacob, when he sees Rachel, he's like, yeah, that's, that's the person that I want. Right. You know? <laughs> and everything seems to be working out that way. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about that is too, that, you know, uh, God allows things to work out, um, you know, from time to time, if it, if it is within his plan and it's within the scope of what he wants, then, you know, he's not going to say right. no. Um, it, it could be a time thing. It could be something that as in Jacob's case is delayed, whether it's a week or seven years. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's something to be said there, but, um, yeah, uh, that's it just i find it interesting that there's such a tenderness there and also as you say um you got a well being shown there in uh in relationship to that yeah and i might be making too much out of this but sometimes it's helpful to think out loud you know sometimes that's when things really begin to click but just kind of wonder about the fact that this well is different than any other well we've seen so far you notice in uh verse two that there was a large stone at the mouth of the well and the water didn't mm. come out until the stone was rolled away. Mm-hmm. And then they had to wait. That should be obvious. Yeah, right? And <laughs> they wait until all the sheep are gathered together until the, they roll the stone away. And when the stone is rolled mm. away, all the sheep are able to feed together. And just me saying that mm. probably conveys where, where I'm going with that. But I mean, in John chapter 10, uh, verse 16, you know, he mentions that what he was doing is gathering all the sheep of God together into one, one flock with one shepherd. There shall be one flock. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I just kind of, I kind of think about that, you know, that's just very interesting. And, uh, you know, again, like once the stone that was blocking the tomb of Jesus was rolled away, life getting, life giving water has been poured out forever from that tomb to give water, life-giving water to all the sheep of God for all time. So, so I don't know. It just it, it's just kind of interesting, you know. Now, moving on finally to uh, the children of Jacob, the first children that are born from Leah. Um, you know, we have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And uh, you know, there's plenty that we could say about those specific people. But of course, bigger the bigger picture is the importance of those tribes down the line. Mm, mm. And uh, of course, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Well, what's the tribe of Judah going to eventually lead to? It's going to lead to the Messiah. Mm. And uh, so we have those connections there to be made. Um, you know, we've talked about how it's great that the Lord continues to bless Jacob in so many ways. And, uh, but the fact that he chooses to bless Jacob through the one that he wouldn't have picked, 
um, again, is sort of an unexpected thing. And it carries along with it. It follows along with what Isaac has experienced. He wouldn't have expected necessarily the son of promise to be, uh, to be the one that was not his favorite, perhaps. Uh, or at the very least, not the one that was younger. Um, but of course, we've talked about how Rebecca seems to have kept that and remembered that promise and, uh, and focuses on that. But, uh, so, you know, we learn from this that, you know, God blesses us sometimes in unexpected ways, but especially with God's people, things don't always go the, the way that we want them to go. But even still, there's good being done in that whole sense, um, especially in Jacob's life, all, all of these blessings, you know, what does David call children, you know, arrows in your quiver? Um, they're a great blessing. And, uh, and so God is continuing to bless Jacob. Mm. Yeah, and Stephen, do you remember where the prophecy is that those who are called unloved would be called loved? I think I think that's in Isaiah, isn't it? Let's see if I can find that. Yeah, uh, Isaiah sixty-two mentions in uh, Isaiah sixty-two, verse four and five, says you're no longer going to be termed forsaken or desolate, um, but you are going to be called. My delight is in her and married, uh, Hephziba and Beulah, for the Lord delights in him and your land shall be married. Um, and I think there's a lot of verses like that, that the, the one who felt unloved is the one who would receive all the love of God. Um, so mm. it's kind of interesting. Similarities with, uh, Hannah mm. in first mm. Samuel, mm. um, you know, it seems like there's a lot of back and forth between rival wives mm-hmm. in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you would hope that, <laughs> you would hope that instead of like some try to do, emulate that system of polygamy, uh, rather learn from the mistakes that are made in the Old Testament and recognize that when you have divided, uh, love, when you have divided attention, there's no way that, uh, both of those women can be completely happy. Right. Um, and I, I would argue, of course, the same goes the other way around. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be marriage, of course, but, uh, but yeah, there are some great lessons that we can learn there. And, uh, but the importance overall that God takes something that is marred, something that's not going to be n- nice for people to look at, and he makes it into this beautiful thing. Right. Um, that's a huge theme of the Bible over and over again. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, is it Jeremiah that the, the, the clay was marred in the hands of the uh, potter? Right. And so he reformed it, made it a new vessel. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting things there. Yeah. And, and there's a couple more things on that too. Like for instance, uh, when Leah says the Lord has surely looked on my affliction, um, isn't that kind of similar to what, was said by Hagar much earlier uh, when she was fleeing. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can find that here. Um, Genesis 21. Um, uh, Genesis 16, verse 13 and 14. Uh, God saw her in her affliction and she named uh, she named a well, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. 
she called it the well of the one who lives and sees me which is Be'er Lehai Roy if I'm even pronouncing that correctly but also um, it's bigger than that though Psalms 40 this is actually I think one of the most primary themes of the Psalms actually is the psalmists feeling afflicted poor cast off needy and it's just like one one or two verses here that convey that theme. It says, Let all those who seek you, this is Psalm 40, 16 and 17. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be mag- mag- magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. So you see that same attitude of the psalmist, just the joy of the fruit of knowing that God looks on their afflictions. Um, he hears that we're unloved by the world. Um, so I just think that's that's interesting to see that same kind of attitude in the psalmist that you see in Leah. I think one theme is the two two wives and the one not being the wife that was sought for, but rather the latter being the one. So God made two covenants. Uh, he made the old covenant and the mm. new covenant. And uh, Jacob was willing to labor and be cheated and treated badly because he wanted so badly to marry Rachel, which was his desire. Mm. He was working for the whole time. And uh, it seemed to him like nothing to work and suffer. Uh, that long period of time because he loved Rachel so much. And I just, I wonder if that can't be related to the old and the new covenant and God was willing to bear with the old covenant, even though those people of the flesh were not truly the people he was seeking. And we learn this in Romans 9 through 11 very clearly, but he was willing to bear with Israel of the flesh for such a long time. Uh, and he loved them, you know, he loved them just incredibly which is why he was willing to bear with them. But but really what God was seeking was the new covenant. And I wonder if Ephesians 1 through 3, when talking about the predestined people of God being those who are adopted through Christ, if Ephesians 1 through 3 doesn't convey the same idea that God from before time, before the world, was was hoping and seeking those kind of people, if the idea isn't that God loves us now so much, that to see all the sacrifices he made and all the suffering that he underwent, if that isn't meant to draw us just to see how powerful his love is and how great his love is to us, and if that's just not meant to encourage us just immensely uh, to really hold fast to him and to love him. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's uh, some great, I guess you would say, not really symbolism, but a great metaphor to show us that, you know, hey, uh, I, I think... I think you're spot on that. Yeah, absolutely. The new covenant is much more desirable. God paints it as much more right. desirable. It's what the whole book of Hebrews oh, is yes, about. Right. And, uh, wow. so, so yeah, definitely something to see in there. And I guess one more thing, just quickly, Jacob deceived his brother, which was sinful. And now he's experiencing being deceived himself in a way where he himself is not, he's not guilty. You know, he's just, He's doing what's right. He's trying to work, you know, and he's obeying Laban and submitting to Laban. And uh, First Peter really talks about the grace of God in an interesting way. You know, he mentions that we embrace suffering as if we're guilty and we bear up almost as if we're bearing 
we're bearing the iniquity of the people around us in a way that they don't bear because they don't understand uh, their condition. You know, in First Peter 2, it mentions that, you know, we've been called for the purpose to suffer while living righteously because Jesus himself uh, bore our sins on the cross and by his stripes we've been healed. So I think that turn is, you know, we, we through deceit, we've deceived ourselves, you know, in sin, and sin is that deceit. Um, and when we, when we're delivered from that and when we are illuminated, you know, it's almost like the idea of, of, of the covenant God has made with us is we embrace the suffering of righteousness, you know, and we embrace the loss, we embrace the, the sorrow and the pain of it all because we've been illuminated to understand the covenants of God and the grace involved in that covenant. And so I, I just, I wonder again if there might be a relation there of, you know, Jacob is embracing the suffering that's required here. Um, and I wonder if he, it's even in his mind that, you know, he he deceived his brother and has received so much. So I wonder if in his mind it's not just a little thing for him to suffer being deceived here uh, because of that. Yeah, maybe he feels like, well, this is this may be what I deserve. Right, I just do. Yeah. What are some things that we might pull from this particular passage for us to actually live with today, Bryant? Mm. Mm. So one one thing is uh, what comes out of the attitude that I think we just ended the theme section talking about. So Psalm 44, this is a very powerful connection that has impacted me quite a bit. Uh, in my own faith, Psalm 44 is actually quoted in Romans 8, and it's quoted in a way that is really interesting. So Psalm 44 is is a psalm where the psalmist, and, and by the way, I think Psalm 44 is one of the most interesting psalms. It, it's just incredible. Uh, the psalmist is righteously serving God, and He's serving God in a way where he's just basing his faith on what he's heard about God's miraculous working in the past and the Exodus. And verse four through eight, he mentions that, you know, he's not going to trust in his bow. He's not going to trust in himself. You know, God will save him from his enemies and he's going to boast in God's name, verse eight, all day long and praise his name forever. But nine through 12, he acknowledges but God, you've cast us away. You've thrown us away like garbage. You know, verse 12, you sell us for nothing. You're not enriched by the sale. Verse 13 through 16, he mentions you've made us a reproach and a byword among the peoples. Uh, and verse 17 through 19, he says, you've done these things to us, but we haven't done anything to you. We haven't been unfaithful to you. Our hearts haven't turned back. And verse 20 through 22, he mentions, you know, God would know it if we turned away from him in all of this. And verse 22, here is the quote in Romans 8. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And I would suggest the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 44 is the same attitude of Romans 8, which is one of the most powerful chapters of the entire New Testament. 
the psalmist understands God's grace and love so much that he can suffer anything and be treated any way by God, and he will never stop serving God with all his heart. Never. Not even when he thinks that God is treating him like an enemy. He sees serving God as so worthwhile that even when he feels like God has made him like refuse, like a sheep to be slaughtered, he'll endure it because God's covenant is just so enthralling and amazing. And I think the idea of Romans 8 is what we've received is even so much more greater. How can we not have the same attitude of willingly embracing whatever sufferings come from the covenant of God uh, through Christ? So I think I think that's just a really important application. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in specifics, you know, one thing I had down here in my notes was, you know, even when I'm fooled or tricked by brethren or when I'm ah, offended right. by brethren, I still need to do the right thing. And so Amen. I think First Corinthians yeah, 6 comes into this, play with this. Uh, you know, he's criticizing the Corinthians there for mm. brethren mm. taking brethren before unbelievers to be judged. And he says, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Um, I, I think we would do very well to take that lesson under consideration when we're trying to work with each other in, in local congregations and work with fellow Christians instead of just giving up and throwing everything up and just saying, well, you know, forget about this, you know, uh, as we've referred to, instead mm-hmm. of having a flip the table mm-hmm. moment, let's, uh, let's actually say, okay, you know what? Mm. I'm being wronged by this. I'm, I'm being cheated by this. Of course, we know there's a limit to that. We don't just allow that to go on. But we also don't give that over for people in the world to even comment mm, on. Mm, um, mm. There's no place for people of the world to have any part wow. in the dealings with right. brethren. Um, that, you know, I, I think obviously there might be some last ditch effort. I mean, obviously if a brother tried to come and like actually physically harm my family, then yeah, there would be something I would have to do at least for the, for the, for the, uh, uh, you know, for the moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, just generally we, 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 we live in a society that takes, pe- take people to court for, for very vacuous reasons, for example. Um, but even when, when you've been fooled, do the right thing, just be faithful, just do what you need to do. And then just at the very core, be faithful to your word. Jacob's faithful to his word. Uh, great point. He says, I'll, I'll work this, this long. I'll work wow. this. He, he works that long. That's um, a really good point. Jesus says in Matthew five, let your yes be yes and mm. your no, no, whatever is more mm, than mm, these mm. is from the evil one. Mm. Um, I don't think we have to, uh, complicate any further than that. It's just as simple as it can be. Right. No, yeah, that's that, that verse is, I appreciate more and more how demanding that is. You know, uh, what does it take to be so faithful that I don't need to say anything except yes or no, you know, cause I find a lot, um, one thing I've got, one thing I've had to confess to people almost like habitually is failing to keep my word. You know, and a lot of that is simply because of an unwillingness to inconvenience myself to the degree that would be required so often to fully keep my word every time, whether it's loss of sleep or, you know, uh, schedule changes, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's difficult to be so faithful that you'll keep your word no matter what. So that's, I feel the same way. 
I mean, it's, it's been rather easy for me to just kind of, you know, rationalize in my, my own mind. Right. Oh, well, they'll be okay with this. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yep. There's no way they can have a problem with this. And then if they do have a problem with it, oh, it's this huge offense to me. Mm. When mm. in, in reality, it was my fault all along. Man. And yeah. uh, so here, here we could learn a great lesson from Jacob. Um, you know, we talk about how bad Jacob is sometimes, but hey, let's learn some lessons from Jacob. Yeah. Uh, let's learn some lessons from Isaac. Get on board with God's plans. Mm. Um, don't work against God. Work with him. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians one ten. now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Mm. There be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Wow. Yeah. What was he wanting them to do? Not just to be together, period, right? Any group can be together, but he wanted them to be together in the ways that God wanted them to be together. He wanted them all individually allied with God and allied together in that. Yeah, Um, that's such a good point. It seems like Isaac is just on board for that. So we can, we can be thankful for that. Yeah. You know, isn't that interesting? Because I feel like something that's easy to fall into is when God's way of doing things defies my expectations. It's almost Mm. like I would rather not serve God then, you know? Mm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, Isaac, when God's way of doing things was dramatically different and even in a way that could have made him feel really guilty, you know, and I think that's another thing. It's like sometimes God's way of doing things is so different. It results in me feeling guilty for having done something my own way. And sometimes my way of handling that guilt is try to conform God to me instead of mm. facing my guilt. Uh, so that, that's I'm powerful. trying to put God in my box right, instead of right, right. conforming myself exactly. to him. No, so that is a very powerful lesson. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, I had down in my notes as well, don't be a poser. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just thinking about Esau, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe that's a little bit harsh toward Esau. But, you know, Romans 12 and verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Um, I do think that this is part of Esau seeking repentance, but he's not going to find it. Mm. And I would also suggest that part of the reason he's not finding that kind of repentance at this time too is that his focus is so, um, it's, it's off. Mm. Um, it's not as bad as Cain or something. It's not like he's as terrible as Cain was, but, uh, he he seems so focused just on pleasing Isaac when Mm. maybe he needs to be focused on pleasing the Lord. Mm. And, and that's just, that's something for us to think about. Mm. Um, marries into just an alternate family when you think about it. So, I mean, he's not, you know, it's not really the, the family, but you know, we're told this and, and you know, we're going to let it sit as it is, right? I'm not trying to condemn Esau for doing this. I'm just saying that, you know, it's just, it's just sad. Again, you know, the, the situation with Esau, we've talked about it so far that it's a sad situation. When someone gets wrapped up in, in, in bitterness and, uh, and allows that to get in the way. Of course, thankfully, we're going to see some positive things with Esau down the road as well, um, that we want to look out for. Right. And then, uh, of course, I think, as we've talked about, one of the most powerful lessons here is from Leah too. Mm. You know, work to please others as much as is within your power, mm. right? Um, she wanted to please her husband. Um, and, and when you think about it in this way, you know, Romans 15 verse one, 
we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, it, maybe I'm stretching that verse a little bit by applying it here, but there's something you said where even though I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm wanted. I don't feel like I'm appreciated. I don't feel like I'm loved. Um, I'm still going to do everything I can to be, to be, uh, faithful to be all that I need to be to provide um you know God loves the unlovable and he encourages us to to reach out to the unlovable <laughs> mm. to to you know Jesus says if you if you greet only your brethren and and if you just love your friends then what's different between you and any other you know even even evil people do that mm. even wicked people love their friends but you love those who are your enemies. You love those people who are hostile against you. Um, and again, I'm not necessarily putting Leah in this perfect place here, but uh, she certainly seems to be doing her thing. And uh, I don't see any evidence that she's like, you know, we mentioned uh, Hannah, uh, the other wife, uh, Penina, in that chapter. She was constantly berating and putting Hannah down. For oh you don't have you you don't have children right. a very hostile and very vicious right. woman I would say and uh, but there's no evidence here that Leah is doing that she's mm-hmm. not taunting Rachel about it she's just doing doing what she needs to do right yeah, and I think an application too with that is you know in verse thirty five uh, with Levi being born she says now I will praise the Lord and uh, Jacob in twenty eight eighteen. I think it's interesting that with Jacob and Leah, uh, you know, and I, I do wonder if we see this more in Jacob than any of the patriarchs, not because it wasn't in them. You know, we see Abraham making altar after altar after altar. Uh, but Jacob, when he sees God's plan being fulfilled in him, he continuously responds with distinct worship. And I think it's interesting that Leah says, you know, well, now I will praise the Lord. You know, and God didn't need to command them to praise him. He didn't need to say, okay, so now you must worship me. No, it's it's simply a response of heart when they saw the awe, or they, they had the awe of what God was doing and working out in them. And hmm. uh, think about how little this all is compared to what we've seen in Christ, you know. And I think I just need to be really careful to not base my worship just simply on command. Um like, for instance, the sacrifices in Leviticus at the beginning of Leviticus, there's no, there's no, like, limit that God sets or finite number that he gives of how many, how many sacrifices you need to make of the burnt offerings or the peace off. Like, it's, it's, it's up to you. You know, you give what is within your heart to give. And I think mm-hmm. one of the glories of the new covenant is we aren't limited by having to travel to offer those sacrifices we aren't limited to having to buy an animal and take it to the temple and go through the ritual you know so we we have the opportunity to give an unlimited and fuller sacrifice of praise to god and and our hearts really should be so much more filled with a desire to praise and so i just i say this to to say that i think one of the applications is the motivation we have to praise God, to honor God, to sing to God, and to worship God just ought to be continuously overflowing, you know, and being with God's people when they're assembled, I think is an application, should just be an utter desire, you know, to be with the people of God and to worship and sing to God, to learn of God 
should just be just the highest, most coveted priority in our lives if we really understand the greatness of what we've received from him. You know, that's something to consider, too, and I'm thinking about this out loud, but I've heard someone tell me before that if you don't want to be at services, then you shouldn't be there. Um, I think that's wrong. Mm, yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, you know, to say that, well, I mean, it's almost like the implication of that statement is that, well, if I don't want to be there, then God is going to excuse me for, for not being there. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um you know, it's not a want to, it's, it's, it's a situation where, you know, I should want to out of the right pure motivation. And if I don't have that, not being there with the saints is not going to help me cultivate that. It's actually going to work against that. Right. And, uh, I'm like the wrong, actually going to be feeding into that. Right. It's like the wrong way of responding <laughs> to that lack of motivation, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't feel like going to work, so I'm going to stay at home. Right, right. You know, well, what's that going to do for you? <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I don't mean to get wrapped up in that specific topic, but, uh, yeah, there's so many good things for us to, to learn and to understand from this, and I just appreciate the time invested here. We thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Walking Through the Book. We encourage and invite you again to reach out to us uh, with the contact information that will be in the middle of the music to come at the end of the end of the podcast. But um, thank you so much for your time, Bryant. Oh, it's always a joy. Always a joy. Next time, Lord willing, we're going to be dealing with Genesis chapter 30, uh, possibly get into chapter 31 as well. We'll see how that goes. But at any rate, uh, we hope that you uh, continue on doing well, study well, be lights to God's glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.